<laughs> and the story begins. Excellent. <laughs> Chapter 27 of Tanya, page 306. Okay. What do you say? Suddenly feeling... Did I say 306? Sorry. What do you say? 306. I'm suddenly feeling very good about myself after reading these few pages. Really? Mm. Okay, good. How so? Insight into your last question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. He's wonderfully imperfect. (laughs) This is an incredible chapter. An incredible chapter. This is where... It's just, it, it's incredible. The, the reframe, the way he reframes our problems, our challenges, our perspective, our understanding of challenges, it's just incredible. Last week, we discussed guilt, right? Guilt over sins. He didn't use the word guilt, he used the word atzvut, sadness or depressive feelings, because I did something which I shouldn't have. And we learned how to manage those. There's a proper way to deal with them. We don't reject them. We put them on hold. We deal with them in an appropriate way in the right time. This week he's talking about sadness, which is not over something I did. It's sadness about who I am. Right? He says on the bottom of 306, where he, he opens up the chapter telling us what we're going to address. Did I say 3.26 again? 306. No, 3.06. Okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hearing things. Okay, but if your sadness... I'm not able to concentrate. <laughs> but if your sadness is not from concern about your sins, right? It's not about what you did. That's not what's getting you sad. That would be guilt, right? Mm. But rather from the fact that bad thoughts and inappropriate desires pop into your mind, consider the following. So what we're addressing here is sadness not about what you did, but about who you are. This is how um, contemporary psychologists distinguish between guilt and shame. Guilt is something that, uh, over something I did. Shame is about who I am. Hmm. Right? When a person experiences shame, it's, it's a, a self-deficiency. In essence, the Al-Tareb is, is addressing shame. In chapter 26, he was addressing guilt, the end of chapter 26. What did I do, right? And my actions, I have control over my actions. My beha- I could control my behavior. I could control what I think about. I could control what I say. I could control what I do. But I can't control how I feel. So if inappropriate thoughts are coming to mind, I get upset. I get bothered. And the altitude refers to that as shame. As sadness over, it's basically, he doesn't, sorry, he doesn't refer to it as shame. We are referring to it as shame. But that's in essence what shame is. This is something that anybody who is not a tzaddik is going to experience. That's everyone. Most people, yeah. That's everyone. Or somebody doesn't have any conscience. Okay, True. True, true. So a tzaddik won't experience this, and a complete rasha won't experience this either. Complete rasha will feel no guilt over inappropriate thoughts, will feel no guilt over bad thoughts, will feel no guilt over the fact that he doesn't have self-control to the 
extent that he wants to. Right? A, a, a complete Russian won't feel that either. That's a psychopath. <laughs> e, e, probably. That, I guess so. I don't know. Is a ru- complete Russia? No, not necessarily. That's that's the definition. Is it? Psychopath. Is that the definition well, of a psychopath? They got no conscience. So what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? So you, mm. sociopath will do things. Psychopath will do things against the law. I think. Against the law. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. This isn't necessarily. This still might be within cultural norms, especially living in the United States. You know, I'm getting inappropriate thoughts that aren't necessarily illegal. They're just not in line with Torah. And I won't feel guilty over them. So then I would be classified as a complete Russian. Yeah. Um, Erickson's of, developmental thing, shame versus guilt. How does that fit in with this? I don't know. What, what does he say? I can't remember. But I know there's a developmental stage where, and if you're stuck in it, then you have shame versus guilt. But I can't remember the whole story. I, just, I don't know. I don't That's, know you're talking about his, his eight stages of... Um, development. Eight of eight, yeah, development. Um, no, I, I don't think it's a psychopath because it's not necessarily guilt or... Sorry, it's not necessarily inappropriate thoughts that are illegal, that are antisocial. It could be very normal, very socially normal. Well, that's what a psychopath is. Is normal? Well, again, my, my, somebody was asking what the difference between psychopath and sociopath. One of them is they can appear very normal. They're mani- manipulating people, but without people realizing it. If somebody... <clears throat> okay, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, I assume none of us. I assume none of us fall into that <laughs> category. There's little, little you really know about. Or <laughs> do you really? Or do we? <laughs> but so, so the the idea is what we're addressing here. Somebody's getting thoughts that we're not addressing, facilitating those thoughts. The assumption is that the person's not facilitating those thoughts, but he's getting these thoughts. And these thoughts are inappropriate. He's feeling ashamed over these thoughts. He's feeling saddened over these thoughts. He's feeling what he refers to as atzavut, some sort of depressing feeling, whether it's shame or whatever we want to call it. And it's taking him down, right? The theme of these chapters, chapter 26 and onward, as we said, is trying to maintain an upbeat attitude in our relationship with God. Because if I'm upbeat, nobody can... I. I'm unbeatable. Simcha, joy, equals motivation. Um, sadness, depression, or whatever these negative emotions lethargy. E- equals lethargy. Lethargy. There we go. I was going to say lethargy. It's the same. Lethargy. I'm not going to have one right. I need to hear you say food. Fu- oh, now I can't say it. Fiduciary. Fiduciary? This is the. Uh, you were in last night's Judiciary. class. Judiciary. Judiciary? It was judiciary. 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 I, I couldn't get the word out. I had everybody else do it for me. I do that sometimes. Heredity. Okay, so how do we address this shame? First thing the Altar ever says, which is an incredible shift, 
He says, if a person is getting inappropriate thoughts, a person is getting intrusive thoughts, he says, first of all, don't be sad over these thoughts. It's actually a reason to rejoice. It's an opportunity. Because it's an opportunity. Right? Let's take a look inside. Um, the second paragraph, which is the first bold paragraph on 307, I'm going to read from the second line. If they pop into your mind, not during worship. So if it pops into your mind during prayer, during, we'll talk about that in chapter 28. We'll get there in a, in a week or two. Not next week, but maybe the week after. But rather, when you're involved in business and worldly affairs throughout your day, person's feeling shame because of these thoughts. Or, sorry, he's getting these thoughts. Then, rather than being a cause of sadness, on the contrary, you should be happy with your lot. Because you can still think. Why, why should you be happy with your lot? Because you can say no to it. Because you can say no to it. It's an opportunity to not facilitate them. Right? But let's jump all the way down to the second to last paragraph. By refusing to dwell on, negative, on a negative thought, you fulfill the verse, and you shall not follow after your heart and after your eyes which you astray, after which you astray. So rejecting these negative thoughts is an opportunity to do a mitzvah. Right? I have the opportunity to fulfill a commandment, to fulfill a mitzvah. And just like with any mitzvah, when the opportunity comes up, I have I rejoice. I get to put on tefillin. I get to light the Shabbos candles. I get Thank to you. eat matzah. You light the Shabbos candles? Well, Chavi does it for me. Anyway. But if Chavi's not here, then you, then you can do that. Well, she's, she's having me, you know, it's a... It's a but I get to eat matzah. All these things are, are, are opportunities. Mitzvahs are opportunities because a mitzvah is a relationship. This is also an important part of the relationship. Not doing what God doesn't want us to do is an important part of the relationship. And what He doesn't want us to do is to facilitate negative thoughts, inappropriate thoughts. We can't not facilitate those thoughts unless we have the urge. So this sort of indicates that you really can't stop those thoughts from popping into your head. It's almost like we all have Tourette's. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the condition that the Bainuni and also the Rasha has. A tzaddik, and we'll talk more about this soon, but a tzaddik has totally internalized the divine soul. So there, there's no opportunity for... Where would these thoughts even come from? He doesn't have that in him. Because he doesn't think. It's like we have what? Two what? Tourette's. Tourette's what's, what's syndrome. Tourette? Tourette's syndrome is Tourette's. Red. Yeah. You, you say what you think and you swear. Swear out loud and you say inappropriate right. things. And, and it's a disease that people can't control. Mm. So you're sitting somewhere Basically no filter. Swearing, yeah. yeah. Right. Interesting. So, yeah, so... It's almost like a reflex, right? It's yeah, that's but, very it, interesting. but it is a disease, and so it's, it's a mental disorder. It's when I'm davening, I can't stop the thoughts coming. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to wait till the next chapter for that. <laughs> exactly. You'll yeah. have to wait till chapter twenty-eight. Yeah, we talked about that a minute ago. But, <laughs> but no, but that, but that's the idea. I have an urge. I can't control my urges. That's who I am. But I could control how I behave. Facilitating those urges. And not facilitating those urges is a relationship with God. 
is fulfilling God's commandment. The command of you shall not astray after your heart, after your eyes. Other way around. Yeah, after your heart and after your eyes. Just like any other mitzvah. Right? And he says, this verse can't be referring to tzaddikim, to a tzaddik. Because a tzaddik doesn't have that urge. A tzaddik, in other words, when we get an inappropriate thought, and we muster up the courage to reject it, and to not facilitate it, for sure not behaviorally and verbally, but even mentally, to not facilitate it, to not think about it, we are doing something which the greatest of tzaddikim can't do. Choose to ignore it. To choose to ignore it. A tzaddik can't do that. Moses can't ignore the negative thoughts like you are. Because he didn't have them. Which might explain why he was one of the humblest people to grace the earth. He's looking at people like us and he's humble. You guys have strengths that I don't necessarily have the opportunity to, to even have. There was somebody who... was very, was going out with a non-Jewish person and they knew better, but they were tempted and they had, you know, <clears throat> parents trying to talk him out of it, you know, the whole, the whole spiel that, that, that um, people have to sometimes go through and they convinced their child, I think it was their son, to speak to the Rebbe, to have a, a meeting with the Rebbe, an encounter with the Rebbe. And this rabbi's going to yell at me. This, you know, some, They're expecting some old Hasidic rabbi. What's he going to tell me? <laughs> He's going to chastise me. Oh, I'm a sinner. Okay, whatever. You'll make my parents happy. I'll go. He goes to the rabbi. And the rabbi looks at him. And he says, the, the rabbi tells him, I'm envious of you. He says, what are you talking about? He says, I'm envious of you. You have an opportunity that I will never have. An opportunity to build this relationship with God, to have this mitzvah that I will never have. I will never have this challenge. Trust me. <laughs> this is what the Rebbe says. I'm paraphrasing. It's not his exact words, but he says, I'm not having this, I'm not going to have this challenge. God gave this challenge to you, not to me. You have an incredible opportunity. And this person turned his life around and was able to to, to resist his desires. He saw it as an... He was able to... This is the refrain that the Rebbe gave him. Basically what we're saying here in chapter 27. Seeing challenges in general as an opportunity, but seeing intrusive thoughts as an opportunity to reject them. We learned earlier in Tanya, we don't have to think about anything we don't want to. We don't have to say anything we don't want to. Any, most normal, um, mentally balanced people don't have to, right? We don't have to do what we don't want to. You can't control how you feel. Which means I'm going to feel certain things, and I can reject them with my thought, speech, and action. I can. This is an incredible opportunity. In, in the Rebbe's correspondence, it's 39 volumes, or maybe more, or 32 volumes, I don't know, of, of correspondences of, from the Rebbe. Different areas of advice in life. A lot of them are translated in English these days. But one of them I was Which reading. Which one? Go ask about that. It's these yeah. ones. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here to 32 volumes, yeah. Are, are I can count them, please. Yiddish or Yiddish? Those are mostly Hebrew. Some are Yiddish. Okay. 
There are, there are translations. We do have some English ones also. So somebody wrote... Do you have them all? Is that all? So, so the way it works is it's personal letters that, that the Rebbe wrote to people. People turn them in to be published. They remove their name from them. They send them in anonymously. So there are... There is likely more. <laughs> But this is what people have turned into the publication to, to whatever the, the are publishing. Are they grouped by subject or are they grouped by time? Or? These, these ones are grouped by, by time, by year. Are they duplicates? What do you mean? So every bar mitzvah, not every, every breast I go to, they read the same Right, right. There, so there are some general letters that the Rebbe would set out to people. Most they of these didn't are. duplicate them in there. I don't think so. I think no, no. These are no. Most of these are, are individual personal personal letters. They're arranged according to, to year, not according to topic. Thank you. Now you have smart individuals. What they did is they created an an index. So if you want to learn letters on a certain topic, let's say you want to learn about simcha, about joy. So you'll look under the letter um, sin, under simcha, and it'll tell you which pages you could find letters on that that discuss. Joy. So th there was a particular letter. Now you don't know what the Rebbe is responding to. You know what the Rebbe is saying. You don't know what, what he's responding to, what the situation was. But from the letter, it sounded like this individual had, was suffering from intrusive thoughts. Like we're discussing in our chapter. And he was getting sad from it. And the Rebbe <coughs> told him two things. He said, number one, your challenge is addressed already in Tanya. He says, go look it up. <laughs> go study Tanya because you're... And I don't know if he quoted this chapter. I don't think he quoted the chapter, but to me it was very clear that he was referring to this chapter because he said, the sadness that you're getting from your, your intrusive thoughts, it's addressed in Tanya. He says, go look it up. Number, that's number one. Number two, why do you have time to be sad over intrusive thoughts? <laughs> what do you mean? He said, why do you have time to be sad over these intrusive thoughts? You should be doing something productive. Oh. You're not busy enough. If you're busy, you don't have time to be sad over intrusive thoughts. He says, be busy. Which I, I thought was very insightful. Very in line with what we're saying. The theme of Tanya. We said last week, Tanya in a nutshell. If, I had to, if you had to put Tanya in one sentence, just a couple of words, get over yourself. Right? Discover a deeper sense of self. Shifting from the animal soul to the divine soul. Which in chapter 32, he says, is the foundation for the entire Torah. Because that's how you have true love between one another. If I'm looking from my soul's perspective, that's what I see within someone else. You're sort of saying you're, <clears throat> you're putting up all the barriers yourself. All these barriers that you can't get over to find God, you you've erected those. Yeah, and well, I mean it's it's we're kind of born into take it. Take them down. We're, well, we right? we're born into it. We are born into it, but we can take them down. We have the tools to take them down. But you expose yourself to the elements. We are exposed. We are exposed. The minute your borders are down, it's not healthy. Yeah. You need your borders down in the right time. In the Bo right place. Boundaries are very healthy. Boundaries are healthy. I mean, especially, look, we, we live in a society, a progressive society, where boundaries are kind of looked down upon. <clears throat> uh, moral standards are looked down upon. 
um, and, are, and are getting, you know, people don't like boundaries, don't look, boundaries in every area of life, if, if done properly, are healthy. I, you know, this, this was kind of the end of our um, July course yesterday. Yeah. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to uh, digest your comment. Uh, progressive society frowns on boundaries. Um, I mean, in the examples that I'm thinking of, they're embraced. Uh, meaning, uh, like, uh, and, and perhaps this is just the wrong example, but um, uh, there, there's um, uh, this this whole thing with with uh, with, with men taking uh, advantage of women, right? There, there's been a, like a clear statement in society saying, you know, this has been done in the past. This is wrong. This must stop, right? So, but maybe the kind of boundaries you're talking about are different. So, maybe you can help me. What do you mean by boundaries in this case? In certain areas, using the term men and women would be offensive. Because why are we segregating between people? Right? In certain areas... Look, there's certain things which years ago, and, and you, you, I mean, look, you guys will know this better than me, but we're just unacceptable. Relationships, we're always, you have two people living in a home, and that's a relationship, and that relationship has boundaries. There's no room for a third person in this relationship. Um, Non-monogamous relationships are something which society says, okay, that's what you want, that's acceptable. And it's becoming more acceptable. This is what they're teaching about. When you learn marriage and family therapy and all these textbooks, well, some people prefer this. Some people prefer this. And it, it you know. It's all valid. The, the lines are getting gray. Yes. The, there's no it, right and wrong. Yeah. So, 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 so I would say. Yeah. Similar to what we discussed last night at, at JLI. There, there, is, there is an absolute morality. There is a, an objective standard. You know, God says what's right and what's wrong. So, so it, it, it seems like some, some lines are getting grayer and some lines are getting blacker. So like the one you just said is gray, but my example was, was really kind of getting blacker, meaning um, like, like in, in the workplace, there's always been this, this you know, uh, you, you put a man on a job, you put a woman on the same job, the man's going to make more money, he's going to co command more respect. Okay, that that's is true. changing. That's right? true. Right? So that kind of boundary is, is going away. Right, meaning like men and women should be treated equally for the work that they do in a job, right? True, true. So, so that's so, what I was trying to, try to understand what you might so, about. So I, I, you raise a good point, which actually brings me back to what we're saying here, that, that the point is boundaries are healthy, but there's times where it's appropriate to breach boundaries, to reach beyond. And sometimes, like David, you were saying, that we, we have these walls around us. And sometimes we need to break free. Sometimes you need the walls to protect yourself. So sometimes we need the walls, and sometimes, but sometimes the right wall, the walls aren't healthy. Sometimes it's the you know. The wall we, can keep you from falling over the cliff, but the wall can also keep you from getting to your goal. Exactly, it, and it depends on what the wall mm. is. So we we spoke about the spirit, the delusional spirit, right? The ruach shtus earlier in, in earlier chapters. There's something blocking me. There's something getting in my way, and we have to reach. We have to be, peek beyond. Being busy, 
with good things, with holy things, is an indication that that I'm that I've switched perspectives. A very very quick aside. You won't know who this person is. Okay. Do you no know worries. Who, do you know who Pink Floyd is? I know who Pink Floyd is. Yeah. Yeah. I was the same he, he hit the wall. <laughs> He, he's got an album out there, The Wall. The Wall, right? yeah. You know who Pink Floyd is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. John, it sounds like you know who Pink Floyd is. So I, I, I've heard the name. So, <laughs> so Pink, Pink Floyd was 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, super popular. I'll call them a rock band because I think officially, officially that's what, what they were. But they created this eclectic set of music for the time. But um, it just this whole discussion makes me think about The Wall. And the whole album is about this person who in their in their life created this giant wall i mean in, in this this wall to protect himself and how at the very end of the album this wall gets ripped down and he's completely exposed this person right and it's i mean it's, it's a really dark dark album I, I grew up with this as a kid and I, and I never really I, and, and and i was attracted to the music because i never understood the message as a kid when I listen to the album when i listen to the album now as an adult it's like oh my gosh this is so dark it's and now cool. I refuse to listen to the album because Roger Waters. Yes. Yes, Roger Waters, who is uh, part of this Pink Floyd group, is so anti-Semitic. Oh, it's really? crazy. So now I refuse to listen to anything. But so I didn't the, the whole thing made me think about the, that that album. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no worries. <laughs> Interesting. Let's go back and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do anything we can to. To keep the Lead you astray from the. the <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna build up walls in this. I'm cross. guilty. No, 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 not at all. So, so, l- let's understand this practically. I'm at work, I'm at whatever it is somewhere, in the car, and I start feeling, thoughts start coming to mind. Inappropriate thoughts. Inappropriate thoughts. By the way, what does an inappropriate thought mean? Um, if you look in the Hebrew, he translates it as inappropriate thought. Okay, he doesn't say it here. In other places, the Quran is I want to blow the person in front of me out of my way if they're driving. There we go. <laughs> the, the, in Hebrew, we refer to them. I think he refers to this. That um, so actually in chapter twenty-eight. Hold on one second. Can yeah, imagine in, what they are. In chapter. 28 he calls them machshavot zarot which literally which translates as foreign thoughts a thought that does not belong there foreign or alien what's the difference uh, i'm thinking alien fire um but um foreign yeah so you're saying foreign thoughts? A thought that doesn't belong. Right. There. Okay. It doesn't belong in my head. Right? So if there's a thought that doesn't belong in my head, whether it's a thought to do something prohibited, whether it's um, a person's using his imagination <clears throat> and creativity in ways that are not appropriate for a Jew, a person's getting these thoughts, and he's getting, he's not even going to do these thoughts. He's not going to, he's not going to behave, act on them. But he's facilitating that he he has the urge to facilitate these thoughts. And he's saddened. What kind of person am I? Ashamed. Right? It's not guilt. That's not something I did. It's something that happened to me, and I'm feeling ashamed. Because what kind of person am I to feel to feel these thoughts? So step number one. 
Rejoice because now I have an opportunity to work on my relationship with God, to embrace Him by not doing this, command, by, by, by not facilitating these thoughts and fulfilling a mitzvah. When I don't do it, we, we spoke about earlier in chapter 24, the beauty of an avera, the beauty of a sin. Right? By refraining from a sin, I have an incredibly deep relationship with God. Because it, like in any relationship, there's something you want to do and you don't do it because you know your partner doesn't like it. Right? So we know God doesn't like it and we stop, we hold back. That It's an incredible thing, it's an incredible opportunity. This is what God wants. We're doing a mitzvah. We're embracing Him. Number two. Second part of tonight's discussion. Where does the sadness come from? What is the root of this sadness? Why am I feeling sad that I'm getting inappropriate thoughts? Why am I feeling ashamed? Because you don't know where because it comes from. Well, good. that's part of it. Yeah. And there's this urge to become better than you are to the point where you feel like you should be at sight. And somehow your ego ought to be like a Tzadi. I ought to be like Exactly. A Unrealistic expectations. Of self. Of ourselves. Yeah. But uh, this, it's, it's really confusing. It's a slippery slope. It's a fine line. Because when you get a thought, it's saying something that your subconscious is needing to deal with this thought. And when you need to deal with it, then you kind of... You have to identify it, and you have to see where it's coming from, and you have to understand for yourself why it makes you perturbed. That's very dangerous. Can, but you have to find out why it makes you perturbed, because you know it's wrong. And then you have to throw it out and do something good, because you can't ignore it, because it's going to come back. It has to be identified, and it has to. you have to know that it's a wrong thought. And you have to know why does it make me feel bad, because something's wrong about it. Don't you think you'll feel worse after that? You get lost in your head? No. Not you, I mean somebody. No, a person, yeah. I don't think so, because I think that you need to know from where it's coming from. Even if it says in the Tanya, it's bad. That's why it makes you perturbed that you're thinking about that. I might have to address it, but do I have to address... You don't have to do it. You don't have to you but, but, see why you're thinking about it. A hundred percent, but the, the fact that I'm thinking about it is a problem. But let's say I'm not even thinking about it. I just have the urge to think about it and that's upsetting me. So like you said, I'm having unreasonable expectations of myself. Let's take a look at what he says. He says on page 308, right on the bottom, section 2, where it says how your ego tricks you. So on the, the, the bold words on the bottom, on the contrary, sadness from inappropriate thoughts, which we identified as shame, comes from an inflated ego. Why? Because let's jump to 309, to the bold, that you don't know your place. You don't know who you are. Um, where are you? And realize that you haven't yet transformed yourself to be, to be rid of the evil, to the impulse to evil. You thought that you got rid of your evil impulse. And your inflated ego makes you feel depressed, that you're not at the level of a tzaddik. And since a tzaddik doesn't feel such thoughts, thoughts don't come to a tzaddik's mind, and I am getting these thoughts, right? It's bursting my bubble, cramping my style, right? An inflated ego, an arrogance, leads me to sadness. 
because I, arrogance leads me to have unreasonable expectations of myself. What's the Hebrew word for ego? Is it the same as arrogance? Um, that's a good question. So, so the literal translation, if you look on the bottom of 308, an inflated ego, the Hebrew is gasut haruach. See the last two Hebrew words on the page? The spirit. Gasut haruach. Haruach means spirit. Gasut means thick. A thick spirit. It's also edging God out. A what spirit? Ego. Edging. Thick. Oh, thick. Yeah. Hmm. Gas means, the Hebrew word gas or gasut is thick. Ruach is spirit, a thick spirit, which is basically... So you're never supposed to strive to be at Sadek, and then you won't have any problems, because your head won't be so big. You have to strive to be, to be you. To be. Dr. Sue said, nobody could be youer than you, except you. <laughs> this is an incredible, again, refrain, or what psychology calls a co cognitive restructure. Understanding where I should be, not where I think I should be, but where should I actually be? Being honest with myself. It's literally just being honest with myself. Let's take a look at what he says. Um, again, page 309, the third paragraph or fourth paragraph. All this delusion is delusional thinking of the ego. Because if you would know your place, you would realize that you are very far from the level of a tzaddik. I'm going to jump down one more paragraph. And a more realistic expectation would be if only you would become a Benini and not be a Rasha, even one moment your whole life. Our goal is to strive to be a Benini. If we strive to be a Tzaddik, so, so what happens is, sometimes we prevail over our evil inclination, our impulse. We feel good about ourselves. And perhaps we convince ourselves that we're a Tzaddik to some degree. Right? We, we you have an inflated ego. And then what happens is the, the evil impulse leaves us alone, allowing us to think we're all that or else we're so good because we don't have this impulse really, you know, I'm pretty good. And then he comes out of left field. And then we feel sad over our, we, we feel ashamed of ourselves. The Al-Tareb is saying, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be true to ourselves. Let's have realistic expectations. Expectation, having the proper expectations will put us in the right place. The proper expectations is not to be a tzaddik, but is to be a bainini. This is, let, let's jump back to page, we're going to jump back to chapter uh, 14, page 168. Just to, to refresh our memories, what does the al Rebbe say about a person's potential? What is our mission? Again, just to clarify, the difference between a tzaddik and a bainini. A Bainini controls his behavior. A Tzaddik controls not just what he does, thinks or says, but who he is. Right? Would you As say a, that they control or they just are? Or, or they just, they they just, just are. are. A Bainini has to... a Tzaddik doesn't even know he's a Tzaddik. A Tzaddik could know he's a Tzaddik. So the way you know you're a Tzaddik, set a timer for 24 hours. For the next 24 hours... Do whatever you want. Do whatever you feel. Follow every single urge that you have. And if at the end of the 24 hours, all you did was Study. studied Torah and did mitzvahs, 
and did holy things, did good things after following, and that was your impulse, <laughs> that's an indication that you're a tzaddik. A tzaddik should know he's a tzaddik. A person should be honest with themselves. A person has to know who they are. Um, now, there's an example of, and I'm bad with names, about this, this rabbi who, like, everybody knew this rabbi was a tzaddik, and yet he can, it's, it's in this book too. I mean, I, I'm forgetting who it was. But as, as much of a tzaddik as he definitely was, he considered himself a Bainani. Yeah. Right. Okay, so, yeah, so, so the Talmud says that Rabbah used to say that I'm an example of a Bainani, even though he was known to be a tzaddik. Maybe he didn't want to disappoint himself. So, well, that's actually, there's some truth to that, right? Because, um, well, but I mean, then he's, but, the, but if he has the potential to be a tzaddik, then he's also having unrealistic expectations. You can't have, you can't have unrealistically high expectations. If you have unrealistically low expectations, we're also not challenging ourselves properly. Okay, the the Al-Turebid in chapter, I believe it's chapter 13, reconciles. He does reconcile it. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the answer in a nutshell, just so you can sleep tonight. No. <laughs> Basically, a Bainini can feel like a tzaddik during prayer, during Torah study, during holy moments, could be elevated to a temporary tzaddik level. Because he was always studying Torah, he thought, maybe I'm not a tzaddik, maybe I'm just a Bainini who is temporarily elevated. Temporarily all the time. But all the time, because that's what he was always doing. Right, right, right. He said, if I stop, maybe I won't be as a... Yeah. But, in truth, he was a tzaddik. But, so the difference between a tzaddik and a benanim, a tzaddik totally internalized the divine soul. There is no animal soul that's being active. So there's no impulse. There's no negative impulses. A benanim has the negative impulses, but just doesn't do them, doesn't act on them. The Rasha has the negative impulses and acts on them, even occasionally, but does act on them. So the Bainini and the Tzaddik, sorry, the Bainini and the Rasha have something in common. They both have an impulse to evil. The Bainini and the Tzaddik have something in common. They both don't do evil. You see the difference? The three levels. The Tzaddik, no negative impulse, certainly doesn't do negativity because he doesn't have the impulse to do it the bainini has the negative impulse just doesn't do it the russia has the negative impulse and occasionally does it or if he's a complete russia all the time and feels no guilt but but that's the psychedelic person or not psychedelic uh psych what was the word psychopath psychotic. the psychotic psychopath that psychopath. we're that we're not um not dealing with now here's what the altsarebbe says what is our job our job is not to strive to be a tzaddik to get rid of our impulse it's to get some sort of control over our impulse. He says on page 168, this is the first bold line. Now the level of a Bainini, the level of the Bainini, which means even though I have negative impulse, I'm not going to behave that way. As a standard attainable by every person, and practically speaking, every person ought to aim toward it. That's what our goal is. Us regular folk, our job is to aim toward being a Bainini, not toward being a Tzaddik, not toward being perfect. Right? I'm going to jump down to the bold again. In fact, any person can become a Bainini at any moment at any time. Why? I'm going to jump again down to the bold. 
because Bainini is not repulsed by evil. Bainini wants to do evil, he's just not going to. Being repulsed by evil is a matter of the heart, only a tzaddik has totally has total control of that. I'm going to jump to page 172. Sorry, not 172. I'm going to jump to one... I confused myself. 174. <laughs> if you remember in the beginning of Tanya, in chapter 1, the Altarebbe opened with a teaching from the Mishnah. Before a person is born, an oath is administered to them. Be a tzaddik, don't be a rasha. And his question was, and it said even if everybody tells you you're a tzaddik, look at yourself like a rasha, and we tried reconciling that. How am I supposed to view myself? And it's what he's responding to here, be a tzaddik, don't be a rasha. Why does it have to say that? Obviously, if I'm going to be a tzaddik, I'm not going to be a rasha. Right? Because they come hand in hand. If I'm a tzaddik, I'm not a rasha. If I'm a rasha, I'm not a tzaddik. So just tell me, be a tzaddik, and I know not to be a rasha. Why tell me, don't be a rasha? And he says, so he answers the middle bold paragraph on 174, rather, since not everybody's privileged to become a tzaddik. It's not enough just to promise to be a tzaddik, a task which the soul may never succeed. For a person doesn't have significant decree of free choice, right, to control how they feel. I'm going to jump again to the bottom bold paragraph. Sorry for driving you guys crazy here. But the bottom bold paragraph, therefore, since the soul may not succeed with the first oath, be a tzaddik, it's made to swear a second time. If you try to become a tzaddik and do not succeed, at the very least, don't be a rasha. The goal of a Bainini is not to be a tzaddik. It's to maybe strive occasionally to be a tzaddik, but the goal is not to become a tzaddik. Our job is don't be a rasha. <laughs> Our goal is not to be perfect. Our goal, uh, internally perfect. Our goal is to behave perfectly. So I want to sin. I have the desire to sin. I have inappropriate thoughts. I have thought patterns that don't belong. Um, in my mind but I'm not facilitating them I'm not going to talk about them I'm certainly not going to behave that way and that's my goal but if I have tzaddik expectations which is internal perfection impulse toward only good what's going to happen if that's my expectation you will fall short I'll fall short, right? You'll feel bad about yourself. And I'll feel bad about myself. That's that's the key. So, yeah, and I, I think, you know, kind of in in today's terms, it's like um, you set the bar, if you set the bar too high, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yes, exactly. And if I set the bar too low, then we're not challenging ourselves. So, so there's a, there, there's a, there's a balance. There's kind of a certain level of self-acceptance here. That's kind of what the Altadev is saying. We have to accept ourselves. That doesn't mean accept. That doesn't mean we have to behave in line with how with our impulses. But we can accept the fact that it exists. The fact that I'm never going to be perfect. That's my goal, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's the serenity. I've heard that line somewhere before. <laughs> the the AA always opens up at the serenity prayer. About a year and a half ago, I was. Um, taking a course for my MFT degree on addiction counseling. And they wanted me to take part in some sort of 
AA meeting. It didn't have to be doesn't have to be specifically alcohol, but some sort of support group meeting just to know what it's like. It was when we first moved here, setting everything up. I was super busy, so I decided I was going to do OA over Eaters Anonymous because it was on the phone, and I could do it on the phone. I don't have to go anywhere, and it, I listened on an hour. I talk, for an hour on the phone. I was super exhausted <laughs> from the night before, so. I show up to my office with a huge, big gulp from 7-Eleven of Coke, <laughs> a, thing of, a, a big box of Mike and Ike's, <laughs> and I'm listening to these people talk about their horror stories with food. And here you are. And I'm sitting there going... Oh. <laughs> 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 You're so I felt so horrible, but I'm like, sorry hopefully, guys. Hopefully you were on mute when you were Yeah, exactly. I put the phone on mute and I go. Destroys <laughs> because you couldn't get it in fast enough. <laughs> so <laughs> the AA has, has the serenity prayer. You familiar with the serenity prayer? You know, it's, it's like, give me the power to like know this and understand that and the power to tell the difference. Something like that, right? The power to change what I can. The courage to accept what I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's essentially what the Al-Tareb is saying. We have to be wise enough, intentional, to realize that what I'm doing, that, that the fact that I'm getting inappropriate thoughts, <coughs> I, don't, I don't facilitate them, but the fact that I'm getting them, that's okay. We can accept that, and we should accept that. We should come to terms with the fact that we're not going to be a tzaddik. We don't have to be ashamed of it. We shouldn't have these unrealistic high expectations. As soon as we clarify what our expectations should be, all of a sudden everything's good. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the commandment not to be jealous, not to covet. So one of the commentaries explains how should you not covet? Somebody has it, you want it, how can you control that? So he says, that's because you have an expectation. But if you relieve yourself from that expectation, it's out of your league. Right? It says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. How do you not covet? Because it's, not, it's just not possible, it's not going to happen. That expectation is unrealistic, and as soon as you realize it's unrealistic, there's no coveting. You're good. Maimonides writes something interesting in his Laws of Charity. So you're using reason but not right and wrong. You should say it wouldn't be a higher thing to say, I know it's wrong to covet. So I have no right to covet my, covet my neighbor's wife. But you're going, well, I can't attain it anyway. No, no, 100%. It... <clears throat> it's wrong because it's wrong. The reason helps us emotionally agree with it. Like we said earlier in Tanya, based on the Zohar, we said earlier in chapter 12, the mind rules the heart. Right? How I feel is a product of how I think. It's not wrong because it's not my expectation. It's wrong because it's wrong, but I won't feel it. I'll be able to um, live consistently with that commandment emotionally control that emotion with reason. 
Some people and, rob, do not rob the bank because they know it's wrong to rob. But some people don't rob the bank because they know they're going to get caught and go to jail. Go to jail. No, right? no, so I can't rob the bank because it's wrong. But I have the urge to. Right? So how do I stop the urge? That's what we're saying. Then you, then you reason and say, because here's the consequences of me robbing the bank. So, so, so I the will go to jail. So, so if reason stops the urge, that itself is a, is a healthy thing. In other words, I shouldn't do it because it's wrong. Like we said, like we said last night, it's, it's, something is categorically wrong. Reason shouldn't... As soon as I use reason, I could justify it, right? Oh, maybe in this case I should cover No, we can't cover it because it's wrong. The fact that it's out of my league, it's, an un, it's not an expectation. The reason why I should... Well, put it this way. Let me put it this way. Why shouldn't it be my expectation? Because it's wrong. So I have a mitzvah not to covet. So God says, don't covet. Okay, but I do. <laughs> I'm feeling jealous. So can I ask, is there any of you like had the inclination to rob a bank? You know, my, my, my father used to be a, a juvenile court judge. Oh. This lady walks in all flustered, frustrated. I think it was like during a lunch break or something. She says... And you, you ever just have that, you know when you just have that urge, you just want to kill somebody, and everybody's just quiet, because, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And everybody goes, no. no. Like, Come on, guys. They're like, don't, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Needless to say, she didn't come back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, so... In other words, it's not my ex. I I don't have that expectation because it's wrong. But as soon as I realize I shouldn't have that expectation, I'm not going to want to do it anymore, because I'm I'm not going to want to have that desire. I'm not going to have that. So it it's the same thing with with my thoughts over here. But Maimonides says something interesting in his Laws of Charity. And he discusses the laws of charity on our sheets here in text one. Who'd like to be our our volunteer? I think John should do it. Okay. Go for it, John. Oh, John? Let me, let me bring it up. Give me a second here. <laughs> got to keep uh, him honest. Okay. we got to make sure you're still with them. <laughs> we got you. We're sleeping over there. One, one is commanded to give to a poor person according to what he lacks. If he has no clothes, they clothe him. If he has no utensils for a house, they buy them for him. Even if it was a custom of a person who was rich but is now a poor person to ride on a horse with a servant running in front of him, and this is a person who fell from his station, they buy him a horse to ride upon and a servant to run in front of him. Okay. So the so how much do you have to give how much charity do you have to give to somebody who, who is down on his luck? As much as he needs. You have to not just as much as he needs to survive, but as much as he needs to meet his previous expectations. Because if he is if his expectations aren't met He's still considered poor. He's still going to feel poor, right? That's why it says in Pirkei Avot, who is a wealthy person, somebody who's happy with his lot. So the Altsereb is saying here is we need to change our expectations, because otherwise we're going to feel poor. If we have unrealistic expectations, expecting to be internally perfect, which isn't going to happen, and that's just not our mission, we're going to feel poor. We have to embrace ourselves, self-acceptance. We're never going to be perfect, and that's okay. What we can do is be behaviorally perfect. Behaviorally meaning we can control how we, what we think about, what we say, what we do. 
we just can't control what pops in our mind, right? So the pop-up comes up on the computer, might be inappropriate. You can exit it. You don't have to click on it, right? A tzaddik wouldn't even be getting pop-ups. A tzaddik puts up a good filter on his computer, and he's not even getting those inappropriate pop-ups. He has the pop-up blocker. But the Bainan, he's getting the pop-ups, but he's not clicking on it. Right? The Rush is going to click on it once in a while. And, and the Al-Tadeh was saying, okay, so your computer's not perfect. You don't have to beat yourself up for it. <laughs> Just don't click on it. Move on. That's, that, that's basically what we're saying in a nutshell. I have a little bit of problem with this. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um... And the reason I'm having a problem, and by the way, this, I mean, like, this example uh, from the sheet. Okay. Um, is because um, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily seem to bring in enough context to say, well, you know, the, this, this person had all of this stuff, and for... Whatever reason, he no longer has this stuff. Um, and maybe this person's expectations really should, ought to be realigned with his current situation. With his current reality. Right? So, so it's kind of like, you know... Uh, no, it should be, but that's from his perspective. From the giver's perspective. In other words, my job as a charity giver is not to change his expectations. My job is to give charity. From his perspective, his job is to change his expectations. I, that's how I how how I look at it. Does that make sense? That that that's fair. I'm not I'm not gleaning what you just said from just this paragraph here. I, I don't know if he says it. Well, th this is out of context. But you're right. I, I still don't think that I would buy him a horse. I would. There's a limit in my head of going. This is what's reasonable, and that's not reasonable. <laughs> well, right. No, and, and that's kind of what I mean, because because it could be like, well, this guy was a trillionaire and now he's broke. Well, I can't fix that. Right. The whole community can't fix that. Yeah, right? and not you, true. You, you're getting his expectations up, so you're going to make him more depressed. You're going to you're going to ruin morning. it. No, no. But but our point is, I I brought this as just as an illustration that expectations can be damaging. Yes. Yes. Um, in terms of actual charity, Maimonides writes that the highest form of charity is fostering independence, getting somebody a job. <clears throat> so you're right. Get, okay. You know, get, giving him the tools to get back on his feet. That's hmm. my story. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. Sorry, what? <laughs> I'm just thinking instead of uh, giving money to Chabad anymore, I'll just buy you a bread machine or something so you can sell the bread. There we go. Ah, Chinese. Didn't there we go. <laughs> See, you can oh, you can sponsor the kitchen at Chabad, <laughs> and we can open a catering. We can. We I think go. I'll just keep giving. <laughs> you could yeah. you could have your kitchen on it's that wall and, and Chabad will be able to have a caterer in-house mm -hmm. caterer and <laughs> will you be the in-house caterer? it wouldn't be me why not? because I use Duncan Hines uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's too expensive <laughs> Duncan Hines and Doctor if it was important to you you would learn to use work out of a cookbook it's not that important to you you got you have other things to do yeah true 